Hello and welcome to the Consistency Project with E.C. Sinkowski. My name is Patrick Cummings and every episode I have the distinct privilege of presenting E.C. with a question on subject matter that range from nutrition to fitness to the choices we can all make to live a healthier, more functional life. By exploring both the principles at play and the actions worth carrying out as a result, we aim to get you thinking, get you moving, and get you taking more consistent steps toward optimizing your well-being. Thank you, as always, for tuning into the show. Hello, E.C. Hey, how are you? I'm great. We're going to talk about something today that some folks will know as the Pareto Principle and most folks will probably know as the kind of the 80-20 rule. So we're going to dive into what that means and how it can be applied or should be applied to nutrition, diet, lifestyle, etc. So where do we begin? Where does this idea come from? Where do you want to start? Yeah, we actually kind of breezed through this answer this topic in, I think, the most recent Quick Bites when somebody asked about optimizing performance. And Mm -hmm. so that answer was kind of floating in the back of my mind as I was looking through the questions for the next Quick Bite episodes. And it was kind of like, okay, a whole episode needs to be on this. And I just wanted to frame it more conceptually in light of the 80-20 rule or the Pareto principle that you hear so much about. And, And I just wanted to give the listeners a gist of some of the questions that come up or are Mm -hmm. still in the queue for these quick bites episodes. You know, what about multivitamins? What about sweeteners? Is there any difference between artificial and natural sweeteners like monk fruit? How can I get safe vegetables? Are GMO and pesticides a concern for you? What about BCAAs, especially the ones without added sugars like stevia, citric acid, and natural flavor? What is your take on this supplement? What do you know about iodine? What is, is this the real cause of thyroid problems? How do I get iodine in my foods? What about magnesium? I write about soil quality and it's decreasing and we need more of this nutrient. What about beta alanine? What about cooking oils? What about cooking temperatures? What's the best organic bread product? You know, I want to first stress, I'm, there's nothing wrong with any of these questions. I have asked all of these questions myself over the years. Mm-hmm. I've wondered and worried about all of these things. And I think mainstream media makes all of these questions at the forefront of people's minds. So I'm not faulting people for asking them. And they're very representative of the questions I get. At least 90% of questions are something along these g- genres. But I also think it's where people are going to get about or less of the benefit they want in nutrition. Mm. And we talked a little bit about this in the beta alanine podcast, but people spend, you know, 99% of the time worrying about things that might give them, you know, the 1% of the benefit. And so I wanted to hammer in this podcast, you know, kind of thinking about what people are worried about, the questions I get most of the time, what exactly drives 80% of the results in terms of this 80-20 rule, or I would even say 90% plus of the benefit that most people want. And I think before I've phrased it as, hey, these are the foundations, this is the progression, these are the first few steps that you want to do. But I also want to be clear, no, these aren't the first few steps. These aren't just the foundation. This is most of the pyramid. <laughs> this is mm. most of the whole kit and caboodle. This is how to get the majority of goals you want, not just the first two things to think about type of thing. Two things. One, this is the second straight episode that you said kit and caboodle. And so oh, really? you have to do it in every episode. <laughs> and two, before we dive into any more of this, 80-20 or in maybe in your argument, 90-10, do you want to no. just give some context as to like what those numbers actually refer to and why it matters to look at things through that lens? Yeah. Kit and caboodle, it's a new favorite, huh? <laughs> Gonna have to gonna have to remember that one. That's awesome. Yeah, the 80-20 rule. Okay, so it's looking at that. What gets you the most results? And I like using the sales analogy for business and like that, but you could find that 
you know, 80% of your sales, for example, comes back to 20% of your customers. So I like Mm -hmm. to think about it as bang for your buck. What's the least or what are the few things that you have to focus on that are going to drive the majority of the results? And so in that business and sales example, the idea would be you want to look at those 20% of customers who are giving you 80% of your sales and focus on what is their feedback. What do they want to see? What products do they want? And so you would weight their feedback more heavily than just say any sort of feedback you get, you're going to start chasing all these different ideas because you might be mm-hmm. getting some random idea by someone who bought like a $5 ebook, right? <laughs> like that's, that's not who you want to follow. And that so sounds you don't like want a to... personal experience you just, you were just <laughs> referring to there, but okay. <laughs> and I, that's fine. That's how you get people in the door, right? But you want want to cater to the people that are your core customers. And so taking that idea to nutrition, not everything in nutrition needs an equal focus, right? Not every aspect that's related to health and performance gets equal focus. And so where do you want to spend the time to drive the change towards those weight, health and performance goals? And so for 90 to 95% of people, I think there are three pillars that will drive 90 to 95% of your results. So again, I think this could be more like the 90-10 rule than the 80-20 rule, but I'm saving this 5% buffer for those that I really think are going to need some performance tweaks. And that will already sort of happen with some of these changes, but more specifically those elite athletes. And I'm going to tell you, none of these three pillars are about additives or sweeteners or magnesium supplementation. Mm-hmm. And I've said it before, but you know, people I find a lot are majoring in the minors. And some of it is kind of like I've said, this mainstream media, I think there's a need to always be creating content, to always be drawing attention. You know, any field, including nutrition, there's a ton of competition out there. You have to earn your customers. You have to stay relevant with them. Certainly a pressure for me. And, you know, when you're in this kind of field, what you're selling is your knowledge. I have to have something interesting to say for people to want to listen to me. And and again, Mm -hmm. as I've said before, coming up with fruit and vegetable content every day can be challenging. So you end up diversifying. This is true with a lot of people in the nutrition space. And I think that ultimately becomes some of the source of some of this more minors content, right? More of the majoring Mm -hmm. in the minors, because, oh gosh, what am I going to talk about today? Maybe I'll talk about additives and BCA supplements, (laughs) right? And and so what happens is people in their feed and their mainstream, whatever, in 20 seconds, you can see something about some really clean supplement, clean in quotes. And you'll also see a post for me about fruits and vegetables. And so you get inundated with the stuff when really there's a hierarchy to this stuff that you want to be paying attention to stuff that really is going to matter. Not that both of these ideas about, you know, sweeteners in your supplements and fruits and vegetables are on the same playing field. Just a button because I'm looking at some notes on an iPad and I got a notification from lovely <laughs> Apple News and it literally says this, what is Moringa, the superfood that's supposed to treat everything from inflammation to diabetes? <laughs> yeah, that's almost staged. I love it. Thank you, <laughs> Apple. <laughs> yeah. I- <laughs> <laughs> that's anyways, a perfect example that's perfect okay so you teed us up here you teed us up with a lovely instagram graphic of three pillars of nutrition so let's unpack that yeah again i think these are what's going to drive 90 percent plus of results for people i do have it in an instagram graphic and i've mentioned this before i think in the nutrition progression podcast we did but i think it's been further simplified in that instagram post you're referencing but pillar one is having enough quality in the diet Pillar two is having enough protein in the diet. And then pillar three is achieving caloric control, eating, meaning eating the right number of calories for your weight, health, and performance goals. And that's it. 
Do you have enough quality? Do you have enough protein? And are you eating enough quality and protein within a total number of appropriate calories? And until you're there, I'm not really sure what you're focusing on. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. the secret in nutrition. That's the plan that you've been looking for type of thing. This is the end of the rainbow, the magic, whatever. This is what we've been looking for. Now, of course, with these concepts, you know, the inevitable question is, okay, well, how, what does quality mean? How much protein you know, for the baseline level of quality, no surprise, I suggest the 800 gram challenge, eat 800 grams by weight of the fruits and veggies of your choice. You know, some might end up at 750 grams, others might be at 9,000, 9,000. Wow, no, <laughs> they might end up at 900 or 1,000. If you that end up sounds... at 9,000, send me an email. <laughs> please, nobody do that, please. Oh my gosh. Okay, so they might end up closer to 900, 1,000. Fine enough, but we get the idea. 800 grams is kind of in that ballpark. Okay, adequate protein. Most people know that I'm going to recommend this 0.7 grams of protein per pound of body weight multiplier I talk about all the time. That's not just for the crossfitter or the weightlifter. That's really for everybody, but some might end up closer to 0.6. They're a little bit more sedentary. Some might end up closer to one if they're really trying to gain mass and they're a high-level athlete, fine. But the idea is, hey, let's put in a number somewhere near there and see the effect. And then finally, once those are set, we're going to fill in the remaining number of calories that we need. That might be more fruits and veggies. That will likely be, however, some grains, some nuts, some snacks, some cooking oils, maybe some alcohol. That's all really up to you. And you don't really know the total number of calories you need until you eat a certain number of calories and see the effect, right? If you eat 2,000 calories and you gain weight, that's too much. And if you eat 2,000 calories and lose weight and that's not your goal, that's that's too little. And, and that's it. Those three steps, which, you know, again, adequate quality, I'd suggest you use the 800-gram challenge. Adequate protein, I'd suggest you use the 0.7 multiplier and caloric control. That's the secret in nutrition. Do that. That will drive more than 90% of the results people want in weight, health, and performance. And I kind of want to hammer why I think that's different of approach. First of all, just what to focus on, right? We're not focusing on supplements, organic, conventional, nutrients for your thyroid, you know, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. We're focusing on those three specific things. But I think the most important thing to point out is that each of those steps is a measured step. Measured Mm -hmm. in a scale that makes sense for nutrition goals. Let's maybe, let's maybe unpack that a little bit. What do you mean by that? How does that fit into the 80, 20 conversation, the 80, 20 kind of balancing? Yeah. You know, when we look at this 80, 20 thing that you're trying to get 80% of the effects from 20% of the causes or the actions, the scale or the way that you measure that is going to change based on the field that you're looking at. We kind of gave the example of the business. They're going to be mm-hmm. looking at sales. I mean, that's a really obvious one, dollars, profit. You want to know, you know, which customers are driving sales. But when you Google the 80-20 rule for nutrition, it's usually phrased as something like eat nutritionally or nutritiously, of the time and allow yourself to indulge in healthy foods for the remaining 20% of your meals. And I don't want to get too lost in semantics as I appreciate the general sentiment there, but time and number of meals don't really drive weight, health, and performance goals. Weight, health, and performance goals are dictated by calories and a certain number of macro and micronutrients. So the scale of using time or meals isn't particularly meaningful to the outcome that we want. It's loosely related, sure, but it's not as accurate as looking at calories and nutrients. As an example, if I were to use the 80-20 framework and I eat four times a day, that would mean that 
for 20%, I could, you know, eat 20% of my meals. I could eat whatever I want. That works out to about one meal a day. It's about six of the seven days. I could have a meal. That's this kind of whatever I want. Mm -hmm. Honestly, that system's a little bit loose because it depends what that meal is. You know, Mm -hmm. if I end up sitting down to a pizza (laughs) six of the seven days, yeah, I'm probably not going to have the body composition I want, right? We, And I think we'd also need better control of what's truly nutritious. Just sort of saying, okay, 80% of the time, make nutritious choices. Mm-hmm. What's the standard? What's the standard for nutrition? Because without a standard, we're going to have vastly different outcomes, and we certainly do. Our own version of nutritious is very subjective. And so I think this 80-20 rule has become quite synonymous with everything in moderation which again is fine enough in concept, but we need to actually define that when we go for application. Because I think we generally assume our behavior is is moderate, our behavior is pretty good, when in reality, Mm. we might need some external reference standard as a guidepost. You know, it's sort of like, oh, a 15 minute mile is is pretty good until you realize that the average is much lower than that. And Mm -hmm. so we need these measurable standards to hold us accountable in meaningful ways. And so this is where I think the catchphrases of 80, 20 and everything in moderation or do what works for you don't really help people in a meaningful, tangible way. Again, I don't think there's malice behind the idea of them because not every conversation can be so precise in terms of, okay, how many calories are you eating and what was magnesium today? But I think the problem is when we actually go to apply them in real life, what does that really mean? And so when we're talking about these nutrition outcomes that we want, it's going to be centered around calories, macronutrients, and micronutrients, not meals or percent of meals. And so that's why I have these kind of three pillars. Each of them has a measured endpoint. What I think about when I hear about that is the idea of introducing the right constraints to the conversation. Mm, when yes. you say everything in moderation, one, I don't know where the constraints are. What is, you know, your definition of moderation is different than mine, et cetera, and everything. So, and then even deeper than that, where it's like, okay, 80% of the food I eat is going to be good and 20% is going to be bad. Like, is that really enough of a constraint to help you make a decision going forward? Mm. And I think so often we hesitate to embrace constraints, but in my experience, whether it's on the business side or health and nutrition, it's like, until you're really clear about what constraints you're operating under, you're really, every time you have to make a decision, you're really just guessing at what the right decision might be. And if in this context, in nutrition or in health, it's sometimes a lot easier to pick the easy, less optimal option, right? And so Mm -hmm. if you leave it up to chance every single time, you're leaving it up to better than average number of times, you're probably not going to pick the right one because you haven't defined the constraints enough. I love it. I love it. Where were you when I was drafting these notes? (laughs) That's what I should have described it as. (laughs) I was waiting to press record so we could talk about this. Okay, That's great. That's a great way to describe it for sure. Part of, I think, the argument here and what I really like about it is is that this is simple. How is this more simple mm-hmm. or nuanced maybe even than before, than what might exist in this conversation absent yeah. these three pillars? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's it's simple and more nuanced definitely than maybe some other voices in the space because they're going to want you to kind of micromanage a lot more things. But I think it's even mm. more simple and nuanced than what I've said before, for example, in the nutrition progression podcast, and I sort of even reached it more clear in my mind within, you know, the recent kind of weeks here, because typically after I've had people add protein in step two, I've usually phrased it as then move on to macros where people are targeting specific protein, carbohydrate, and fat grams. And, And that's fine enough, but I've kind of switched it to just focusing on total calories because we've already hit the number of protein grams. And basically where carb and fat fall 
they're just going to end up at a certain amount based on their other food choices, like the 800 gram challenge, their protein choices and whatever else they use to fill up their calories. And we talked a Mm -hmm. little bit about this in the low carb and the low fat podcast, but the distinction between how many carbs and fat calories you have, assuming their total is controlled and assuming you're getting enough of the micronutrients within those choices. But the ratio between them doesn't really matter for fat loss or even for health. Mm. It only really matters what that ratio is in the case of high intensity performance, where I want to look at carbs specifically and make sure that they're probably not much below 40% of calories. But people doing more moderate intensity stuff, which is certainly part of my audience, people doing more maybe hiking, people even doing more just straight weightlifting, where certainly there's a high intensity, but you don't have that many reps. All of those people will be just fine, even with a lower carb percentage than 40%. And so this is why Mm. I say these steps where we don't have to split hairs as much with the carb and fat ratio are a little bit more simplified than before. And yet we'll still drive, you know, 90% plus of people's results. And for those people that I do have that are in the CrossFit space, I know I have a good number of those or, or functional fitness in our crowd. I think a lot of them will kind of shake out kind of near there anyway, because mm. you know, when you're doing a mixed macronutrient diet, just by way of sustainability, unless you're really trying to be low carb, I I find that people end up sort of with carbs and fat. Both of them are going to be kind of in the, between the 30 and 40% range. Once you set protein at the 0.7 multiplier, that ends up about being 20 to 25% of calories. So then we have, you know, about 70% of our calories left, maybe a little bit more. Well, gosh, it's probably normally going to fall out with a balance between carbs and fat. And so I find that we don't really have to micromanage that process that much for for so many people's goals. And that's really kind of the idea here is I only want to manage the constraints, shall I say, <laughs> mm. that I need to and 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 let the, the the chips fall where they may after that. And I think they'll be right on target. Okay. So I have a kind of a special snowflake question, which is like, when we think about weight, health, performance, at least it's, it's easy to fall into the belief that like, well, my context is different. I'm doing this particular thing in a slightly different way. And I do it at three o'clock on Thursdays. And so therefore I must have to tweak this in some way for myself. But generally speaking, if we're looking at this idea of like the 80, 20 and your argument of, of the three pillars, like, nope, there, at least uh, other than maybe the 5% is one of the things you're saying is like, there are no special snowflakes. Yeah, there aren't. I mean, where your special snowflake gets to shine, Patrick, is in which <laughs> fruits and veggies you choose, right? If you Aww, really hate strawberries and, <laughs> and you really want to have cantaloupe and arugula, that you can do that, right? Or if you hate <laughs> salmon and you only want to do chicken, that's where you get to shine is your unique individual nutrition ways. But but this is a source of confusion for a lot of people. I, I get this a ton in my master class that you know, we all start with the 800 gram challenge and people will be like, well, I'm not interested in, in weight loss, right? Like I'm, I'm Mm. here for performance. Why, what am I doing? Like, this isn't the class for me. And I like to remind people that no, like these goals really trend together, especially for people in the functional fitness everyday, you know, recreational athlete space where people's best performance will occur when they're at a healthy and normal weight. Certainly there are some at least athletic performances that require this manipulation of, of weight or body comp beyond kind of natural healthy ranges, but I just don't think they're my audience. Mm. So I kind of wanted to touch on how these three pillars do affect each of those outcomes, weight, health, and performance, right? So if we were to start Mm -hmm. with adequate quality of the 800 gram challenge, yes, this is good for weight loss, or even I just say weight control, because a lot of people, you know, might just want to maintain their weight, not lose weight. 
Why? We've talked about it before, right? It fills you up on less calorically dense items. So calories are going to be easier to maintain when you're full on these unprocessed foods. You just won't have as much room for the goodies. The 800 gram challenge, of course, is good for health goals because of the nutrients in fruits and veggies, the vitamins, the minerals, the fiber, the phytochemicals. We even touched on that in the last episode with kind of the meat and the cancer claims. But these nutrients can be health protective by way of their anti-inflammatory and antioxidant compounds. And then, yes, the 800-gram challenge can be good for performance, right? You need the vitamins and minerals for energy production. You don't just need carbs for that or just fat for that. And then again, those anti-inflammatory antioxidants can help with recovery. And if the person does need to lose weight, we're going to see a performance bump as well, because then they don't have as much weight when we you know, need to go do the pull-ups or the running. And so we have that increased strength weight ratio. So that's how quality is going to help all through those outcomes. For protein, we have the same sort of thing. Protein is good for weight loss or weight control. It's the most satisfying macronutrient. We feel full on it more so than other foods. And it also, in weight loss, is going to help bias the weight loss towards fat loss, which is what people want. We hear people want to tone up or lean out. They're not interested in just losing weight. They just want to lose fat. And so to bias fat loss over weight loss by having enough protein, that's going to get that weight body composition they want. It's good for health from the protective standpoint of muscle mass, sarcopenia, that natural muscle mass that we lose with age really is linked to a poor quality of life because you just don't have independent living when you're not strong to be able to do all of life's aspects. And so that's why we want protein for long-term health. And of course, I think protein is is pretty obvious for performance, right? We typically need some sort of strength component. So we have this idealized strength to weight ratio. And so protein will help with that. And, and the point seven is really at the intersection of all of those aims. It does fall in line with research related to kind of maintaining muscle mass while in a caloric deficit for my weight interested folks. It falls a little bit above, but in line with research that's protective of sarcopenia. And then it also is in line with research of where you can add muscle mass with resistance training. So again, I'm hitting on the weight health performance with that. And of course, mm-hmm. I just find it sustainable. It's it's a level that you can actually do. You're not just scoops of protein powder all day. <laughs> and then lastly, that third pillar, the caloric control, how does this relate? Well, of course, calories and weight. We know that one's obvious. If people have weight goals, they have to control their calories. For health, we've talked about this before, but you know, when you're looking at high glucose, high triglycerides, high cholesterol, that stuff is coming from excess food in the diet, right? So if we want to get some of those health markers in line, we're going to have to have the right number of amount of food coming in. And then from a performance perspective, yeah, we're going to have to look that we have the right amount of fuel to fuel the activity. And, and for some of our high level athletes, we might even have to worry about under fueling in this case. But Again, there's weight, health, and performance ramifications of of each of these pillars. And I think where people get a little bit lost in the details and kind of the snowflake aspect of this is that, you know, the recreational athlete in her 50s, she might end up doing, you know, 800 grams of fruits and vegetables, closer to 100 grams of protein, and a total of 1,700 calories. And then the, the pipe hitter going to regionals, you know, in his 20s might be doing 1,200 grams of fruits and vegetables, 180 grams of protein and 3,500 calories, right? So they look so mm-hmm. different, right? You see these people and they look completely mm. different. The numbers on paper are very different. The fact that he really doesn't like salmon and she thinks it's great, that's really different. But, but the concepts are not, right? They have got the baseline level of quality. They have adequate protein and they have caloric control. I love that. One of the things that I think about a lot especially on the business side of things, is that it's easy to fall into the trap of seeing somebody else's tactics and thinking that those tactics must then therefore work for me. Mm. When in reality, 
if you were to understand the principles that led to those tactics, you could then figure out what the right tactics are for you. But unfortunately, so many times it's so easy to just see tactics that we don't do the extra work of figuring out, well, how did that person who's maybe getting the result I want, how did they figure out that that's the right tactic for them to have gotten there? Mm-hmm. That's a harder conversation, right? That's a harder journey to figure out. But that is ultimately the one that will be the most valuable simply because like, yeah, you could steal a tactic, right? You could steal Matt Fraser's tactics on nutrition, go for mm-hmm. it. And it might work a little bit, but what happens when it stops working? Mm-hmm. Well, either you have to finally do the work of figuring out, well, what are the principles actually that are underpinning why that tactic work? Or what we do too often, which is like, ah, oh, shit, I need to find a new tactic. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then you're just tactic hopping. Right. Totally. So I love that. The idea of like, yeah, they all look different. The tactics might come out of the wash a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. But let's not get too blinded by that. Let's actually figure out, let's go upstream a little bit and say, okay, well, what are the things that actually make the tactics make sense? And let me do that. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of the point of the principles that I authored because it's, yeah. you know, I can tell you why vegan and carnivore are more similar for people than different. <laughs> and and yeah. that's what I'm trying to bring to this space because I think ultimately people are tactics seeking and it leads to their confusion for sure. Okay. So. Part of the argument here is, I think, that you're making is that these three pillars, that this hierarchy isn't currently really being followed, isn't currently Mm. really being adhered to. How do you come to that? Like, how do you get the sense that we're all, what is it, majoring in the minors? Minors, Like, what is your experience that kind of led you to this belief that actually, like, these are the principles that, or not the principles, but these are the pillars that we need to think about? Yeah, I mean, it's good to kind of sanity check that for sure. I'm sure there are people in the audience who are already knocking these out of the park. You know, they're they're super dialed. They got their quality protein and and total calories in line. I think I have two kind of lines of evidence to suggest that it's not. I mean, I guess three if you include the questions I get. But one would be the statistics that I cite all the time. The CDC and the USDA CDC tells us that 70% plus of people are obese or overweight. And then USDA Mm -hmm. tells us that 80% plus of people are not eating fruits and vegetables. So with that information alone, I know that we don't have enough quality in the diet. And I know that we don't have caloric control. And and those numbers Mm. aren't like 25%. I mean, to have a 70 plus 80 plus percentage, that means the majority of people that you talk to on average would have those issues still. And then I combine that with the experience of working with people, especially my master class. And I would assume that's a representative sample of my audience, right? You know, for most of them, even when they have been CrossFit experienced, 800 grams of fruits and vegetables is more than their current average. doesn't mean that it's hard or they can't do it, but it's kind of been more than their working average. The protein is certainly even higher a percentage of people that find that's a drastic change. And then most of them do have weight loss goals, which, you know, reflects kind Mm. of the CDC percentage. And so I think it's easily less than 5% of the people that I work with have all those pillars in place. Now I get that might be a biased sample people that have those pillars in place aren't probably coming for help, right? They're probably not looking for help Mm -hmm. because they're already at their goals. So I'm getting the people Mm -hmm. that aren't there yet, but I do think it's a, it's a large enough percentage, even within kind of the functional fitness CrossFit space of people that aren't, you know, aren't hitting all of these three things consistently or have achieved them. I think there's, and again, the questions, and I think that's kind of where I started this podcast episode, but even just the questions that I'm inundated with, I, I, I'm just like, okay, I'm I'm not worried about which bread product you're buying. (laughs) You know, I'm I'm not, Mm -hmm. I'm worried about these other things first. And so I think, I think, again, these are kind of the major things that, that aren't really being tackled consistently. Yeah. Okay. Starting to wrap up anything kind of final thoughts, anything else you want to 
make sure we have an understanding of as it relates to the 80-20 Pareto principle and our nutrition. Yeah. I mean, I kind of just hinted at it, but I like this idea of, hey, when you focus on these three pillars, generally those other concerns will fall away. You know, and if we were to go back to some of those questions that I kind of rattled off in the beginning, like what about multivitamins? Mm -hmm. And I know I tackled that in in a quick bites, but hey, you know, if you do these things and you get most quality food and you achieve that amount of protein, you're going to need enough magnesium in your diet. And I've kind of, or got to get enough nutrients in your diet to include magnesium, which is another one of those questions. But I've kind Mm -hmm. of done that analysis on my diet. I've seen it. Yes, you can achieve the the RDA values of this stuff. BCAAs. Well, I'm not particularly concerned about taking a BCA supplement if I'm getting the total amount of protein that I need in the day, right? And, And maybe the BCA is are part of your total amount of protein, but I'd rather you focus on that total because you'll get enough BCAAs from that branch chain amino acids, a type of amino acid, if your total protein is in line. Sugar sweeteners. I'm not particularly concerned about which sugar sweetener you pick if those other three pillars are in line, because I know the amount of sugar sweetener won't be that much relative to your other goals and that you have enough quality. So, you know, like I just said, the bread thing, I don't really care if you pick the English muffin or the total white bread, assuming Mm -hmm. that you have enough quality from other sources and your total calories are in control. And sure, there can be some really wacky examples that people come up with here. You know, they might try to do the 800 gram challenge on straight cantaloupe and only collagen for their protein and then only do white bread. But I try to stick in reality here that when people kind of hit these pillars across many days of the week, that again, these other concerns just fall away, just fall away. And Mm -hmm. and the choices don't really matter. I just hope that it's freeing. I feel like there's so much that you can just let go of (laughs) and not focus on anymore. Yes. I love that. Okay. Just a reminder for folks, we've been talking about it over the last couple episodes. We have launched uh, paid membership, paid paid subscriptions through both Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And one of the things we're going to start playing around with and introducing to those or for those paid members, paid subscribers, is the ability to ask follow-up questions and hear EC your answers to these follow-up questions for each one of these episodes that we're doing. So if, as you've been listening to this conversation, you've got questions maybe that we didn't tackle or that we're still unclear about, we believe we're recording this a little bit before this launches, but we believe that Spotify is going to make that kind of feature part of the subscription package that you get when you when you do subscribe. But for folks who maybe aren't on Spotify, listening on Apple and still want to ask a question and want to hear your, your answer to it, what's the best way for them to ask that question? Yeah, let's just do info at optimizemenutrition.com. Awesome. So we'll collect two, three, maybe five if we've got them questions on this, and then we'll package that together for the subscribers, do a little maybe mini episode tackling where folks might still have some questions on this conversation. So thank you, EC. Thank you to everybody out there for listening. Please do leave a rating and a review. It helps new folks find the show. And we'll be back next week for another episode of The Consistency Project. EC here. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the show. Thank you as well for all the support for the five-star ratings and the reviews and for telling your friends or family about the podcast that really does help the podcast grow. And if you want to get the most recent info from me and be up to date on all of my content, the best place for that is my email list. So you can subscribe at optimizemenutrition.com slash email. I send out emails (laughs) weekly-ish, and that's also the best place to get your question in the queue for Quick Bites episodes. So again, that's optimizemenutrition.com slash email, and there's also a link in the show notes.